0: This is a podcast from Cambridge Assessment. For more downloads, visit cambridgeassessment.org.uk.
1: Well, hello, everybody. Um, thank you very much for coming today. My name is Jill Grimshaw. I'm part of the Cambridge Assessment Network team, which organises uh, this series. And I'm delighted to introduce today Carenza uh, Lewis. Carenza's from, uh, from the archaeology department at the university. And when I looked up some information about her, everywhere it said, and always associated with the Channel 4 time team. So if you know the Channel 4 time team, you will have already seen Carenza, uh, I'm sure. So
0: um, you never leave behind once you've got <laughs> it on your, on your track record, especially not on the internet. Age. That's right, that's right. So
1: um, I'm sure it's going to be a really interesting uh, talk that Karenza's is going to give us today. I've uh, seen a few clips while we've been setting up. It looks really, really interesting. I know some of you have come um, from um, schools and other organisations around, so I'd like to welcome you as well. Um, I'm sure it'll be really interesting for you to hear what karenza has got to tell us today. Um, so, w- without more ado, thank you very much, Karenza. I'll hand over to you. OK, thank, thank you. you very
0: much, Jill. Um, thank you for coming, everybody. Um, this is a slightly strange seminar for me to be giving because I am assuming you are all constantly involved in assessment, um, probably in a much more uh, continuous and hands-on way than I am. So it's a slightly uneasy situation of delivering a seminar to an audience which I strongly suspect knows more about the subject than I do, which is never confidence-inspiring. Um, but um, what I, I'm going to talk about is a project that we've been working on for some time, um, Ourselves as archaeologists involved in uh, widening participation and in working with schools and trying to raise educational aspirations in schools, particularly with regard to applying to university. Um, And with the individuals at ARD, the Assessment Research Division here at Cambridge Assessment, um, who we have been collaborating with on the project that I'm going to talk to you about. Um, so there are areas of assessment which. I mean, the whole thing was an immensely interesting exercise. I think from uh, both uh, both uh, companies, well, both both parties' points of view. Um, I think we both had to learn a foreign language um, very rapidly. Uh, the language of assessment was one that we weren't altogether familiar with, and equally, the language of archaeology was one which they weren't altogether familiar with. Um, Uh, But there was a great deal of goodwill on both sides and the outcome was very successful and I think we all have very positive um, uh, feelings about it. I um, just want a quick outline of what I'm going to talk about. Um, uh, HEFA stands for Higher Education Field Academy and um, those of you who've got handouts will have um, a leaflet about the Higher Education Field Academy. Um, this is the leaflet that was designed to promote um, the opportunities the course offered within schools to young people who needed encouragement to um, aims sufficiently and appropriately high in their choices for their post-18 education, indeed post-16 education in some cases, Um, but it does provide a sort of uh, useful background to the project. Um, So I'm going to talk a little bit about Heifer, its aims, the way we were assessing performance on Heifer before we got involved with Ard, and then how we went about uh, sort of refining and really sort of distilling out exactly what was being. Um, and what could be demonstrated to have been achieved by students um, attending HEFA when we're working with ARD. Um, and then talk a little bit about the new assessment model, the ways we've used it, um, and a little bit about uh, sort of its um, possible applications in the future. Um, The reason um, ARD were interested in working on this with us and the reason I think I was asked to speak at this seminar is that the basic principle of uh, the way we went about looking at the assessment has sort of wider ramifications um, and implications beyond just the particular um, course we were dealing with. Um, So, uh, yeah, I think I've just made this point, really. I mean, there are a number of conceptual challenges which we felt um, resonated more widely within the field of, assess- of assessment, particularly within the assessment of soft skills, those sort of, um, the pl- the personal learning and thinking skills, um, which have been um, an issue for a long time in-, in how do you assess these sorts of skills. Um, And the challenge that um, Ard were very aware of and very keen to work with us on was to be how to construct a model that would assess these soft skills in a way that would be Sympathetic to the wider intentions of the learning program there 's a basic sort of um, uh, dissonance in many ways between uh, the aims of the higher education field academy, which were about building students confidence, giving them chance to show to themselves and other people what they could achieve in different circumstances and in a new environment, with assessing the standard of their performance which it, isn't inevitably always a a positive one. So there was um, a very uh, very high potential for tension here, and we were very keen, we are all very keen, to um, retain the good points of the sort of opportunities that HEFA offered, while also providing something really robust that students who'd completed the programme could actually use to demonstrate what they could do so that it was actually something that they could say, I've completed Heifer, and somebody else would look at it and think, gosh, that shows that you've got potential, you've got stickability and all the rest of it. Um, And um, the ideal outcome we wanted was to have a a valid way of assessing soft skills within this programme in a way that could be scaled up um, and in an activity that requires high ratios of staff to learners. Um, The aims of HEFA, just to outline it, I mean, the, as I say, to raise educational aspirations and achievements. um, It says here, young people from less privileged backgrounds, we work exclusively with the state sector. Um, uh, Well, so far anyway, the the whole programme has been run within the state sector. We worked very extensively in the early years of HEFA and indeed until July of um, this year with AIM Higher, which as some of you will know has been scrapped as part of the cuts, Um, but we developed the Higher Education Field Academy with with AIM Higher in order to raise the aspirations of those um, uh, from socio-economic backgrounds that are less uh, widely represented in higher education and in the higher echelons of it, Um, and I'm sure you're all familiar with the sort of um, problems uh, that this uh, represents. Um, the aim was to give these participants who would be doing something they had never done before, working with people they'd never met before, in a somewhere they'd never been to before, the chance to develop a wide range of skills, both practical ones, cognitive ones, personal and presentational skills um, that are applicable to school, to university, to the workplace, um, while making a contribution to academic research as well. We felt it was very important that they should be doing something that was genuinely valuable. You can get a load of people to come and dig a hole, and they will learn a lot of skills about persistence, um, teamwork, and so on. But just digging a hole is a fairly meaningless exercise. If they're digging a hole for the purposes of recovering evidence that can be used to advance knowledge and understanding, that puts a whole new and additional uh, perspective on it and gives it a whole new value, both in terms of them gaining a hands on understanding of the way that uh, knowledge generation works, of the way evidence should be used to generate information and knowledge um, and also to boost their self-respect in terms they're not just being asked to dig a hole for the sake of it, they're being asked to dig a hole because it contributes to research so it is valuable, valuing the contribution that they're making and um, there was also the aim to allow young people local communities to work together and this wasn't a core educational aim it was felt to be an important social aim and because the excavations that the young people were carrying out take place within historic villages uh, they take place within people's gardens mostly um, there is a very very strong link between the communities that the field academies take place in and the people who are Doing the digging on the communities and that's a sort of whole separate issue that I won't go into now but it does involve them developing communication skills uh, because they need to talk to the property owners about what's turning up in the hole they're digging in their garden or at the very least say please and thank you when they bring them a cup of tea Um, and usually the more extended uh, discussions develop from those initial communications and we get very good feedback from the uh, the, the communities that host uh, the excavations on the young people um, and constantly a constant refrain is you know variations on the theme of the kids i have were just so polite and friendly and charming and lovely and you just don't think young people are like that these days you know it's it's very heartwarming um which is obviously good for our morale um uh I think that I'm probably just repeating, I've made this point really, Um, it's a two-day programme of excavations, Um, they work independently in teams of three or four to excavate a one metre square pit, Um, we put them into mixed school teams as much as possible, so we'll usually have two students from one school and two from another, so they'll be immediately having to meet new people and learn to work cooperatively and effectively with them. And we'll have up to about 10 of these one metre square excavations going on at the same time. So we'll typically have a group of 40 students, perhaps from four or five schools, who will be scattered across a village. Um, Some of you may know of this that's been happening in your communities. There's about 35 different villages across East Anglia that we've been uh, running this in and one or two uh, more widely in other parts of the country. Um, right what I'm going to do now having introduced this I'm just going to show you the DVD which uh, we uh, made to introduce the project in schools um, and it's just about five minutes but I think it's quite a useful way of just going through it it really will give you an idea of sort of what goes on and what's involved this is assuming I can get the technology to work of course okay. So uh, the volume's a little bit quiet, I'm afraid. Uh, It often is when we play it to the kids at the beginning of the heifer. It does mean they have to be absolutely quiet, absolutely silent to hear it. And in fact, I'm not quite sure there's something to be said for keeping the volume quite quiet and that sort of thing. Those of you teachers may already have discovered... I'm sure have already discovered many more of these sorts of... You've probably heard of the University of Cambridge. What you might not know is how interested it is in you. That's because it's committed to getting bright young people like you excited about the idea of going to university. Welcome to the Higher Education Field Academy from the University of Cambridge. My name is Karenza Lewis. I'm an archaeologist at the University of Cambridge, as some of you may know me from Channel 4's Time Team. Time Team shows professional archaeologists searching for buried remains from the past. The Field Academy is like Time Team with a unique twist, because it won't be archaeologists who'll be making the finds. Over two days, you will be doing the digging. You will be making unique new discoveries, helped by experts all along the way. You might not think that digging a hole in someone's back garden is the obvious way to get yourself to university, but you'll be surprised. Whatever you're thinking about for your future, the Field Academy will help you develop the skills and confidence you'll need to succeed and give you a chance to find out more about university. So by digging for the past with us, you'll be building for your future as you take on the challenge of completing your own mini testbed excavation in just 14 hours. On the Field Academy, you'll be working in small teams of three or four people, doing your own independent mini excavation on your own separate site. None of these have been dug before, it's all original research, and we have no idea what you'll find. Out of all the corners to dig up, we dug that one. Yeah, whereas
1: if we'd done that one we probably wouldn't have come across it which is quite weird yeah. but it's quite funny that like you were We thinking it was a bird and everything and it's a skull
0: that's one of the unique aspects of the field academy it enables people like you to make unique new discoveries to do this you'll have to work independently and to the highest standards We'll be relying on you to excavate it and record it properly so that we at the University of Cambridge can use your results in our research. Of course, we'll give you all the help you'll need. The first day we'll start with a session explaining exactly how to make a professional job of excavating your test pit. And once you start your dig, there'll be experts visiting your site all the time when you can get advice if you need it and discover more about your finds.
1: This piece, yeah, you see it's got like the yellow pattern on it. That's what we call slipware. It was probably a big dish or something, maybe, I don't know, that sort of diameter. It was something people put on their table when they were sort of, like, having the family round for dinner. Um, so, yeah, it's like your posh tableware or something like that, yeah? Now, they started making that about 1,600. So that's, what, 400 years old? Yeah. So that's a good sign. It looks like there might be some older stuff further down. it.
0: Another important aspect of the Field Academy is the way it involves school staff. As the on-site practicalities are taken care of by the University of Cambridge, teachers get the chance to work and learn with small, mixed school groups of bright pupils making new discoveries in a new environment. You don't need to be studying any particular curriculum subjects to come along on the Field Academy. For two days you'll be working outdoors, doing a practical project, meeting new people and learning to master new equipment – techniques, strategies and knowledge. Yeah, so you think that could be neolithic, but that's sort of the like earliest ones we've got and sort of the best ones we've got. You'll be surprised how quickly you'll pick up this sort of specialised knowledge. But above all, the Field Academy is about developing general life and learning skills that will help you at school and in the future, whatever you decide to do, such as teamwork,ing creative thinking, communication skills, task flow planning, problem solving, patience and persistence time management. Even more surprisingly though, it won't just be you who benefits from your work on the Field Academy. The test pits dug during the Higher Education Field Academy form part of current University of Cambridge research into historic settlements. So your hard work will make a valuable contribution to the university and to local communities. You'll be digging in a medieval village, one of thousands which have been in existence for hundreds of years or more, but which have never been excavated before mostly because it can be difficult to get access to sites to dig when these are covered by houses, gardens, garages, roads and so on. As a result, we know surprisingly little about how old these settlements are. And these places are important because they're where 90% of the population lived until really quite recently. During the Field Academy, today's village residents, keen to know more about the part their plot of land played in the past, will welcome you into their gardens to excavate – and in return you'll soon be able to tell them about the evidence you've found for hundreds, sometimes thousands of years of activity hidden just inches beneath their lawns and flower beds. Uh,
1: we found the tooth. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know whether it's human or animal? Um, we think it might be like a goat or a sheep.
0: For the university, this information is leading to the development of new ideas about how the countryside we see today came to be. Each new test pit dug is another piece of this jigsaw. Dating finds from test pits dug in different places are showing us how changeable these villages were in the past, how they appeared, grew, shrank, shifted around and sometimes even disappeared over time. After you've finished your dig at the end of day two of the Field Academy, you'll spend the third day in the University of Cambridge. That'll give us all a chance to find out what everyone else has found and think about what it all means. During the day you'll also get a private tour of one of the university's famous colleges with lunch included as a reward for all your hard work digging. During the dig you'll have been working at university level so day three gives you a chance to see a university from the inside to find out more about how to apply to uni and to think about whether it could be right for you. Over the last three years, more than 1,000 young people have enjoyed the Higher Education Field Academy and finished it for okay, well, I think we'll come out of that there. The rest is just do come along and get involved sort of thing. Um, anyway, so I hope that gives you a bit of an idea about what's involved... The activities the young people involved in on the Field Academy fall into sort of three suites of tasks, if you like. Um, the first is to actually complete the excavation um, uh, in order to try and reconstruct sort of how the develop, settlement developed in the past. And the idea is they complete the whole excavation from start to finish, from the very first site preparation of measuring out a one metre square, making sure they get the right angles right. Uh, you know, And immediately you're into that sort of basic, you can apply maths, you can use Pythagoras and you, uh, some of the angles on the hypotenuse being uh, you know the, uh, the some of the angles on the uh, right angle and so on uh, you know all that sort of thing so there's immediately an opportunity to get them involved in thinking how to use the skills and knowledge they've got and share that knowledge. Um, So they go right through from that through to actually writing a report on the excavation. Uh, And one of the reasons the one metre square works very well is you can complete an excavation of that size in two days um, and get some useful data out of it. We could obviously do an excavation the size of this room, run it over years, but every student would then only see a tiny part of the whole process. And the idea really is that the the excavation is just one model for any sort of uh, research-based experiment if you like they could be collecting ladybirds from a patch of ground they could be assessing the effects of acids on you know reaction times or whatever it's the same sort of model but it's a very different sort of hands-on way to do it and the key thing is of course they're actually discovering new information the things they find have never been found by anyone else in the past the observations they make are completely new and again that's quite an empowering thing so, the second suite of tasks are about um, developing skills, and this is the sort of area I'm going to particularly focus on in this talk. Um, skills in a range of different categories, um, uh, which we've broken down into sort of data collection and analysis, which is doing the dig and writing it up. But within that, they're learning about working to set standards, they're uh, developing their verbal communication skills, both of their talk to each other about what they're going to be doing, what they're finding, what it means and that sort of thing and uh, talking to visitors who come to the site about what they are finding... Uh, their creative thinking skills as they're sort of working to interpret what they're finding both in terms at a very basic level if you're finding usually when you dig a hole in the ground you find little bits of something not the whole thing itself so they're having to sort of think about what those fragments represent the processes that mean uh, have led to the fact that there's only one bit of it there they often say why well, I've only got one bit of a pot where's the rest of it for example um, reflective learning they need to be constantly assessing how well their excavation's going how they're working together and uh, establishing whether they need to change anything um, and that sort of thing Uh working, again getting the best out of everybody encouraging each other um, getting the most of working at how most effectively they can get things done and it's demanding you know they're outside it's hard work if it's Wet weather—it's obviously wet, um, and there's rain and stuff. If it's dry, the ground can be very hard to dig, and it, if it's sunny, it can be very hot. So there are—you know—it's it, hard, tough work digging a meter square test pit to a meter depth, um, which is roughly what most of them ideally will get to um, involves moving about a ton of soil um, over two days and then putting it all back in the hole again afterwards putting the turf back there and leaving the site looking reasonably immaculate so there's a lot of um, it's it's a very you know it's a high challenge the set and then at the end they write it all up. The third suite of tasks are about finding out about university, and we do that at the end of the two days, as it said in the DVD, they come into the university, but they've already spent the two days working with us as a university team, we've been explaining to them how what they're doing and what they're finding fits into university research, so they're aware of the fact that they're actually contributing, that they're working at that sort of level, and we say to them, which is absolutely true, that we do exactly the same exercise with our second year undergraduates, in fact in about a month's time we're taking a group of undergraduates out to great. Shelford probably um, to do exactly the same exercise for them so you know when we say they're working at university level we're not just saying that; it's genuinely true um, and they obviously spend a day in university and they get told about uh, how to apply to university and things like that. Um, the obviously success in all three of these areas is vital to the success of the Heifer program and its wider aims um, but in a seminar um, primarily about assessment, um, a key point I want to make that the use of a robust and valid model for assessment is key to that second suite of tasks, the acquiring, approving and applying of these soft sk- well, these skills for life and learning and particularly the soft skills which are such a challenge. And being able to demonstrate that these have been achieved is crucial to the success both of the HEFA programme itself and also to the students in being able to feel that they've uh, had an experience and achieve something that is worthwhile and valuable to themselves but also valued by other people. So it's very important to us that um, uh, what we uh, claim of the HEFA programme, it really does deliver and we can demonstrate that it is delivered. So we started the HEFA programme back in 2005 Um, and uh, always with the aim that we would return assessment to the students, but not with assessment as a prime aim, really. Uh, Assessment in the early years was very much focused on the written report, um, though we did have a sort of sheet um, to ask supervisors to fill in. This was refined a little bit um, year on year, and the form that we've been using more recently is the one in your handouts, the student evaluation form for test pit supervisors, and this is this is um, the second one on the list here. This, as you can see on it, effectively asks the supervisor, each supervisor is working with a group of four students on the one excavation, and they spend the whole of the two days with that group of students in this way of assessing them. And they're asked to assess their performance both in terms of effort and interest, behaviour and attitude and achievement and standard of working, at four different time periods, Um, the beginning, well, lunchtime day one, end of day one, beginning of day two, and end of day two. And we ask them to do that on a scale of one to five, um, using one as excellent um, and five as very poor. And there are notes sort of in the top there, which uh, in the top of the sheet there, which explains how to do that. A significant percentage of the supervisors don't read that because they will grade... um, five as excellent. So it's usually fairly easy to spot that because you'll have a student who's rated very poor all the way through and then it'll say, Michael worked to a superb standard consistently from beginning to end. And you think up oh, yeah I can see what's happened here. Um I occasionally think we should change them round, but I just think we'd end up with the same problem in the other direction. Um, there's also a box for each student for free text comments. So that's the main form of assessment that we've used. Um, uh, up until we started working with ARD. And it had strengths, certainly, um, and it had weaknesses. Um, Another form of assessment we got was in the questionnaires, which is the questionnaire course end, um, one of your handouts, which is the ones that the students themselves fill in. Um, That has been changed um, as a result of the work we've done with ARD. We always, um, if you turn to the second page of this uh, handout, um, at the top of the page, item five, where it says your attitudes, um, you can see what we were really interested in tracking in the first or assessing in the first few years was the impact that the experience had on students in terms of their attitudes, their self, their capabilities and their attent- intentions regarding uh, education and uh, the prospect of going to university. Section six on this form is a recent one we've added in after the ARD assessment. So um, don't look at that just now um, because I'll come back to that um, And we also asked the students to say whether they were intending going to university before the course and afterwards. Um, The other assessment we had for students was on the written report. Um, I think you have actually got a copy of a completed student. Have you got the completed student evaluation in the handout there? Should it be a manuscript one that's filled in? The student evaluation form for Testbit supervisors has actually been filled in you got copies of it could I ask you actually while I remember if you could please leave on your seats when you leave any of the handouts that have any personal information about students, um, so any of them that have been completed at all, because obviously I don't want those sort of going outside of this room uh, because they're not sufficiently anonymised, and indeed they're, by their very nature, difficult to anonymise. Um, if anyone is interested and wants sort of more information, I'm, I'm very happy. If you email me, I can sort of send stuff on. But please don't take anything out of this room that's actually got um, uh, personal information on it. Um, but you can see from this, how uh, from the filled-in one, how it does work quite well. It gives quite a nuanced uh, impact uh, and impression of the way students are developed over the two or three days. And the combination of the sort of metric uh, measurements using numbers enables us to be very consistent in the way we report that back to students. And the free text is uh, enables us to put a really personal touch to it. Um, the um, next handout is the uh, written report uh, that is made, the report that's made on the written report that the students complete. And you can see here, there's, uh, this is a blank one, um, there are a number of... Um, a number of uh, constructs, a number of uh, elements that need to be completed. Students are given guidance about how to write up the report, and this assessment really assesses them on how well they've um, adhered to that, um, to that model. Um, we, running it as a widening participation programme, we'd occasionally run into problems with this. I had one student, we had one student once who produced the most brilliant piece of written work. Uh, he had handed in this um, uh, text that was basically a kind of um, a diary. It started off, I'm sitting here at my computer at three o'clock in the morning knowing that I've got to hand my report in tomorrow morning to Carenza when I come to Cambridge. In those days, we used to do the third day about a month later. So they wrote up the excavation between the first two days and the third day. Uh, he said, knowing that I've got to hand it in tomorrow, and I haven't written a thing. What on earth am I going to do? I cast my mind back to the day when we arrived in the minibus and laid out the test. Blah, 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 blah. So it was constantly jumping between you know, him sitting there in the middle of the night wondering what to do and an account of the excavation. As writing, it was brilliant. It was much more interesting than most of the technical reports because it didn't actually fulfil 90% of the requirements. But we sent back a very positive report and we could, you know, sort of be much more flexible about that. And and that's an advantage you obviously have within something you're doing at a very personal level. But it it clearly wouldn't work. Um, It it doesn't work as a technical report. And that's what they're supposed to be doing. Um, And... So that, those are the um, methods of reporting. And we return um, uh, reports to them uh, using this um, information. And we effectively use the... I'm um, just trying to think. You should have a handout which um, has a letter. Yes, I think if you've got the report, the letter here, which starts off, Dear Rachel... Yep. Um, if you, the, this is the letter that we send back to students. The first page is standardised for everybody. It's just a sort of thanks for coming along, well done, by you know for what you did, um, uh, you know general sort of valedictory comments really. Uh, the second page is where there's the personal information, and. If you read it, and again, please don't take this out of the room, but if you read it, it sounds incredibly personal, um, which it is, because um, it is written using those metric measurements. The way it is um, personalized, though, if you look at the, what, the next one, which starts, "Dear Sanal, um, and you look at page two of that... What you can see is that we actually personalise this by using standard responses depending on the numbers. So Rachel here, who got a one for her effort interest at lunchtime on day one, gets you started work with an excellent response to the challenge you had. Um, And Sanal, who got two, is you... Actually, probably three, in fact. You started work with a fair response to the challenge. And we spent a long time constructing something that we could do at a fairly... um, we could do it easily to a large number of students, but still sound personal. Um, and they then got at the bit bottom, you can see there's then a free text assessment of their written assignment. And they get a mark for both the fieldwork and the written assignment. Again, based on the, the work for the fieldwork is based on the uh, totalling up the numbers of the um, from the fieldwork reports and the written assignment is again is done on uh the according to the uh the formula laid out in the marking guidelines so it's very it's very explicit someone queries it we can say exactly how those marks were delivered uh, and how they got them the the problem we have occasionally strayed into is that um these those students are very used to getting 100 percent in um uh assessments uh for GCSEs we would um very rarely give 100% um under theory that 100% is perfection it couldn't be better um uh so but we do there are some um and you can see how it works up. you could get 100% but um the, the the marking scheme is worked out that way but it's it's unusual um the there are a couple of um things that may make you smile I'll point this out but um Uh, It says, for example, that um, in the letter that goes out on the front page, the third paragraph, the last sentence, sort of, um, the mark awarded reflects your attendance on the academy and your written assignment. Anything above 50% is good, exclamation mark. Again, we're trying to accentuate the positive. If you actually look in the um, uh, assessment for the written report, um, it says somewhere... um, Yes, if you look in item one on the second page, item one, the underlining bit um, makes the point that no one submitting a written assignment of any standard will be given a mark below 50%. So there's a slight kind of, again this is a programme that's developed to raise aspirations but actually this is a report that they do in their own time, mostly with very little support from the schools. On top of all their other work, most students attend the field academy in year nine or year ten. In the early years it was almost exclusively year ten students. Uh, we now um, have a lot more not year nine students. Um, the fact that they've actually have managed to get anything done at all about between 60 and 70 percent do of students do submit written reports um, but the fact they managed to get them done actually does you know i think it's actually fair to say if you've got a report in at all you've done well so This, as I say, was a whole of this assessment model was one that we developed really using our experience of working with young people um, with a clear idea of the aims we had for the experience and the course in terms of boosting confidence, developing skills and raising aspirations um the we uh, from the feedback from the students we could see that it certainly worked incredibly well it was extremely popular the uh, ratings um the you know vast majority of students in terms of enjoyment rated it good or excellent um they uh, consistently um agreed that they felt more positive about staying on at school after year 11 which is obviously the first step to starting to get to university again the uh, heavily weighted at the agree and strongly agree end of the spectrum there there's, uh, there's always the odd one but uh, <laughs> um, I feel more positive about going to college university again strongly weighted at the same end the same sort of shape to the graph there um, and we could assess their fieldwork grades. The fieldwork generally was very good. The students respond incredibly well to it, considering it's really tough work. And they're not turning up masses of stuff. They've Occasionally, some of them will have watched Time Team or uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark or something on telly. And, um, you know, do come with quite high expectations of what they might be finding. But they very, very quickly get absolutely focused in on what they're doing. Um, so we generally get very high marks um, as you can see um, the, this is for males for females and all together but we can see the percentage getting sort of 90 to 100 percent in the fieldwork is very high and this is based on the one two three four five um, uh, gradings that um, you've already seen um, the marks for the written reports are Quite differently weighted. Um, you can see for the boys, um, you know, instead of the vast majority being up in the AA star band, the majority are sitting sort of somewhere in the middle. Um, girls interestingly, uh, sorry, the girls interestingly are, are weighted more to the top end. Um, what was interesting, from our point of view, was the um, the disjunction, if you like, between the fieldwork assessment, which was very good and covered just about everybody, and the written report assessment, which only covered those who'd been motivated enough to complete the written reports, um, but so only covered what one might expect to be the sort of top performing uh, people but actually um, it came up with sort of lower assessment. So there's clearly some sort of dissonance, really. But I think the relative... Well, then there was then the issue of relative reporting as well, in that with the fieldwork reporting, you could have some supervisors who were just great at motivating the team were loving what they were doing generally inspiring and would get the best out of their kids or you could have a group of kids who just happened to be really positive really sparky got on with each other got stuck in perhaps had a host um, who provided lots of tea and cakes you know and so felt very positive so there are a lot of variables that um, would affect what sort of positive um, or what sort of responses marks we got from the fieldwork side of things um and you know you'd ha- you did occasionally get the incredibly grumpy member of staff who we suspected had been sent along with a group simply to get their out of school for the day um or two days even better um and you know was not didn't appear like children wasn't engaged with them wasn't involved in them spent most of the time sitting at the far end of the garden marking coursework or occasionally reading a novel um and would just you know mark them very low she'd get arguments with the kids you know and what we needed was some sort of assessment model would we'll try and reduce those variabilities so the aims really were to have a look at the assessment model and refine it i have to say this wasn't something we were hugely um, exercised about we felt that inevitably there were um, issues of variability but it wasn't something that was affecting the success of the programme in terms of boosting the widening participation outcomes and the aspiration-raising outcomes. Um, and the collaboration with ARD actually came, as these things often do, out of a conversation that I happen to have with uh, Martin Johnson, who works here at ARD. Um, and I have to say, in a lot of what I'm going to talk about in a minute, I'm very grateful to Martin, who's, who, who's worked very extensively on this and has written up some of this and I have used some of his uh, data and comments. Um, his children and mine go to the same primary school, and we got chatting over the school barbecue one evening, you know, and, um, about what we were doing. And the whole idea of actually looking more rigorously at the assessment came from that, and it's one of those really happy accidents that, that this has come, come out from that. Um, so, in refining this ass- assessment model, the first thing we needed to articulate the aims of the learning programme, develop a construct base, and then evaluate the assessment model. So the first aim, or first phase of the project, involved actually, um, and this was really about getting two different cultures to come together and ex- understand each other's language, the sort of assessment culture and archeology span widening participation culture, um, We needed very clearly to get the aims of the HEFA programme articulated and clear in everyone's heads that everyone uh, agreed that we were all talking about the same thing and that Ard's idea of the aims of the project were the same as ours. Um, This was particularly important so that the assessment model that would be developed would be able to still achieve those aims without compromising them. And so, this involved um, analysing the published documentation, uh, some of the information you've got, particularly the marking structures and things like that, the uh, leaflets, information on the website and so on, um, and discussions with us to talk about exactly what was going on. Um, the... Uh, It was considered fundamental that these values were expressed. And Ard, I have to say, were absolutely fantastic about being very on board with this. They were adamant, absolutely, from the beginning that we should make sure these these beliefs that, uh, you know, things like knowledge and practical work are interconnected within this, and it's an intrinsic value in allowing young people to develop and demonstrate the application of these multiple skills in an integrated way um it was when you're doing the sort of um at the heifer scheme you know there are some people who have really good practical skills and really enjoy working and learning in that way others who are much better at written skills and sort of meticulous detail and you can dovetail those skills really really effectively within a program which involves digging things out of the ground and recording what they are and where they've come from um and i I won't go into the sort of detail but they, they keep uh, very detailed paperwork records of everything that comes up while they're going um, layer by layer. The digging is done 10 centimetres at a time. The fines from each layer, 10 centimetre layer are kept separate, so they're not just flailing about with the mattock, sort of uh, willy-nilly. Uh, the size of the test pit have got to be straight. As I say, they've got to stop every 10 centimetres, get the bottom of the test pit level, record the surface, and then dig the next the next surface down and dig it away and so on. So it's very, very structured. Um, the, another important pro- part of the programme was this whole widening participant, I- participation inclusion um, aspect as well. It's the sort of programme that, um, you know, there are plenty of very, very high achieving students um, and perhaps students who are being um, hot housed in very, very high academic achieving schools. Um, and we all know which some of those ones are, um, but you know this issue in general education was something that had to be had to be maintained um, and the specific context for doing that the way of doing that was working to professional standards with a professional team of experts um, the Concern and ours actually had this as a much greater concern than I did was that if there was an over heavy assessment program, it wouldn 't work in terms of what the kids would get out of it. Never mind whether the assessment worked; they felt it would damage uh, potentially damage the relationship uh, between the supervisors and the students doing the excavation. So with all of this in mind, the next stage was to really be very explicit about the sort of construct base, the actual what are they doing? What are they achieving by doing that? So that these could be reflected in the new assessment framework. Um, So, and most of you, I'm sure, know all this about tasks and constructs and observable behaviours. But we needed to be very specific that any learning programme that can be be defined in terms of the three related concepts of the tasks, the activities that are carried out, uh, the constructs, the skills and attributes that the programme covers, and that the assessment is really seeking to recognise. We're not seeking to assess how good they are at wielding a trowel. We're seeking to assess something beyond that. And the observable behaviours, the actions which actually give the evidence about these constructs um, and can be used to assess those constructs. So the task is doing the digging, one of the activities is doing the sieving, uh, the, one of the observable behaviours is doing the constructs, the, is the, sorry, observable behaviour is the sieving, the construct is uh, following set procedures. Um, The tasks of the program are well articulated. It's very specific. You have to do, as I say, a set series of activities to do your excavation in a series of layers, um, following standard archaeological procedure. um, To articulate the constructs, the actually sort of what what was actually being got out of this, what was being learned from it, um, was a key part of this. So the first thing we needed to do, or needed to be clarified, was to elicit the constructs and then to review those. Um, the... Construct elicitation involved us looking at other courses. We had to learn about assessment there to learn about archaeology. Um, we were involved in looking at assessment models and frameworks from other courses, GCSE, history, geography, and so on, from different exam boards, different sorts of assessment, uh, the sort of normative assessment, summative assessment. Um, uh, this was We were doing this, we started this in 2009, of course, which just coincided at the time when coursework was being abolished and controlled assessment was coming in so it did feel slightly try- like trying to hit a moving target but you know that kept us on our toes um, and the researchers from ARD equally attended heifers to see uh, what the young people were doing so they could collect data about actually how the work was being carried out what people were doing and we also had a survey of teachers who'd taken part in the program so could they they could give us our opinion, their opinions about the constructs that we were developing to say, so that they could say whether they thought these were the constructs that were being um, developed by the children. Um, once these constructs had been uh, elicited, they were reviewed, um, this was taken through a series of meetings between ourselves and Ard. Um, And the aim of this really was to be able to make sure that the constructs that were sort of identified to be assessed formally actually were representative of the whole activity so that the assessment would be valid. So nothing was left out, nothing was overstated, nothing's understated, and that they made up a holistic whole as well. Um, The aim was to make sure that the overall balance of the constructs was right, whether the ones that were being assessed were actually essential or desirable and again we had lots of discussions about using analogies for example if you're doing a course in nursing you need to prove that you can give an injection and that's a sort of yes no thing you've either done it or you haven't was there any element of the digging uh project that should be a yes no thing or are they all on sort of scalable um, did this quite well and very did this very enthusiastically or whatever lots of discussions like that Um, whether there are any things that, if they hadn't done it, they failed automatically? Should there be anything that was automatically failing? Uh, did we want to ever fail anyone as such? There was, a, you know, all of these sort of things had to be uh, gone into, and of course whether any of the constructs overlapped. So, if we were trying to assess working with um, persistence, for example would we be assessing that on um, doing all of the digging or just one particular task of the digging or in seeing the digging through to actually writing the report up? Uh, You know, there are numbers of different ways in which we could do that. So we had to start to distill all of these out. Um, Once this process was completed, we broke these constructs down into separate criteria based on these observable behaviours, what we could actually see people doing. Uh, this uh, <laughs> I put this in from Martin's report. This process involved the heifer experts using a variety of an Angoff uh, standard setting model, so they tell me. <laughs> um, <laughs> some of you will be very conversant with the Angoff 1971 standard setting method. But essentially it involved um, us coming up with what we thought was acceptable, competent performance and then what fell below that level and what would be judged to be above that level. And we very rapidly worked out that this was by far the most effective way of assessing performance uh, for the um, constructs that we'd managed to elicit. So just as an example, in terms of structured working, um, one of the uh, constructs, the observable behaviours is the plan, or or the task, I suppose, plan and carry out a scheme of work in a structured manner within a required time. And that's obviously very generic. That could apply to almost anything. Um, and within this here's the generally uh, the middle range if you like uh, competent performance Um, so the individual has used the handbook to plan and follow the required work program correctly they have a sort of written instruction booklet they they have a I do a talk to them explaining what to do and they have a written handbook to follow and then a record booklet to fill in basically Um, with some help he she has identified objectives defined tasks clearly task flow has been planned and managed progress has been monitored effectively um, and then you can see um, the, the high-level performances use the handbook without prompting, proactively plan and help drive through um, a programme of work. Um, again, proactive um, engagement with this. And then the, the, the low end of performance has shown minimal interest in planning or carrying out the required tasks in the correct order or within a reasonable time scale, taking either far too much or far too little time on tasks. And this is very helpful because for assessors, they, they can read those three and sort of to go for best fit. And another thing we were looking at as to whether we should have, uh, you know, do you have a single, it's either this one or this one or this one, or do you subdivide performance within those? You could go for sort of high level, low level or medium level within each of these and have sort of nine separate boxes. Um, so at this stage, the assessment framework consisted of four sections. Uh, two of these had a number of subsections uh, and a total, a total of 39 separate assessment criteria it was quite a weighty document um, just as an example the four uh, sections the record of participation and that's just basically did they do all three days you know whether well, they did the, day, the two days digging and the writing up that's that, and that was the sort of uh, binary either they did it or they didn't. The other three were all uh, the data collection, which was basically going through the process, the personal learning and thinking skills, which we'd broke down into these, um, and the written report, um, which, again, we had uh, broken the written report down into different constructs here as well. Um, Just to give you an example of how complex this got, um, just looking at data sample collection here, Um, this is an example of a form there with these range descriptors. Now, I'm not expecting you to read all of this, and I won't be having questions on it later. Um, But, uh, again, if you've read it through and you've had a bit of training on it and you're familiar with it, it's actually surprisingly quick to use. We were... um, uh, Ard were very, I mean we developed this together, everyone was slightly alarmed this was going to be far too unwieldy for people to use, particularly when you're out in the field with a group of students, you've got to make sure that no one's putting the mattock in somebody else's, mattock is a pickaxe sort of thing effectively for those of you who don't know, it's like a pickaxe with a flat head, brilliant for digging but a you know, powerful piece of equipment. So you know, you've got to be maintaining order, keeping everyone motivated, making sure it hasn't started raining as someone had their lunch, you know, that sort of thing and at the same time filling in quite a detailed assessment. But it is one of these things that once you're familiar with all of these, because there's quite a lot of detail. You can very quickly fit the individual students to this sort of behaviour, the which of these behaviours, and you can see here we've broken it down into uh, low, middle, and high within each um, each block. We did originally think, was it worth having marks, or do you just tick boxes? Um, and so it is quite detailed. Um, In terms of evaluating this model, we then, of course, having developed this uh, piece of paperwork, which was about, I think, six pages um, for each student, um, we then took it out to the field and trialled it. Um, The first stage of evaluation involved researchers observing nine team supervisors as they assessed a total of 26 young people, so that was nine groups of students, um, in a heifer course over two days. Um, we needed to look at the practicalities of the assessment. Um, when were people doing the assessments? One thing we sort of lost the bit is this staged observation, beginning of day one, end of day one, beginning of day two, end of day two. Um, how were the assessors how the assessors completed the assessment documents how did they actually get on with doing that how they organised their data gathering and how long the assessment took you know if each assessor if each student takes two hours to assess then it's clearly not workable Um, And the evaluation also compared the assessment outcomes of assessors who were located on one pit compared to teams of assessors who moved around different pits. And this was important because obviously... Well, not obviously necessarily, but if it's going to be scalable up... um, what you could do that by having one person who goes around and assesses all 29 students by visiting each site in turn, sort of regularly rotating around them. Um, and it was very clear that actually this was a very difficult way to assess um, the programme because you tended to miss particular bits of uh, the process. Um, Researchers also use this is the researcher from ARD, use interviews to gather qualitative evidence from supervisors uh, to assess whether they understood the forms, did it make sense, what effect was doing this sort of assessment having on their relationship with the, the students, um, how confident were they that the assessment they were making was fair and valid. Um, and whether there were any duplicated or missing constructs. Did they feel they were constantly assessing the same thing again and again, you know, like being able to uh, you know, keep motivated or whatever? Um, the students who were being assessed were also surveyed to investigate whether they perceived the assessment process was uh, intrusive, um, problematical, whether they felt negative about it, positive about it, didn't really mind. Um, they generally felt they didn't really mind at all. They, they didn't seem bothered. Um, and generally the analysis of this evidence suggests that it actually worked surprisingly well. Um, the Ard were genuinely very surprised that everyone, both assessors and students, said, yeah, it seems fine, actually. Um, <laughs> (laughs) The final aspect of the evaluation was a statistical analysis of the assessment outcomes. Um, The comparisons were made between the quantitative mark outcomes for the young people, the sort of one to nine scale effectively for each of those um, uh, observable behaviours. And um, what we did was then compare them with a sort of ranking. So they'd mark all of the students and then they'd assess what rank order they thought the students would come in. And you can use that to see how valid your assessment is. Um, A number of sort of tweaks were made to the assessment um, after this, and we then had a second trial. Um, This looked at issues of inter-assessor agreement, so whether different assessors would assess the same students and the same performance at the same level, and that's obviously critical to getting an assessment model that's valid, because if the same performance is going to be assessed differently by a different person, then you've got a real problem because the validity of assessment is, is completely non-existent. Um, So we looked at whether two independent assessors would reach similar conclusions about the same performance using that assessor framework. And this was a critical um, weakness that we'd had in the previous assessment model. As I'd said, it sort of depended on the teacher, really. Um, So we... In order to um, make this assessment, this inter-assessor agreement trial as robust as possible and to try and reduce inter-assessor variability, we arranged that the assessors would attend a pre-assessment standardisation session um, where we effectively showed videos of particular behaviour, some of which were clips that were taken from the DVD that you've already seen, and asked them to assess performance. So we started off by looking at one particular clip and I would say, you know well that we discuss which particular construct and which observable behaviors you could assess from that piece of activity and we would talk about that and then we would um we, we showed another one where i would say well i think this is this uh, behavior and i would assess it at this who would agree with that who would disagree and why and then we showed another clip and they would uh, come up with their own assessment and we'd discuss whether there are any variations in that and then we'd have another clip where they would have to decide which um, behaviours they could assess from that how it fitted within the assessment form and how at what level they would assess that and then we discuss that in order to make sure everyone's views of which behaviours could be assessed from which um, uh, activities and how standardised how these um, performance levels should be standardised um okay so um what i've got is some um, examples of these The hand round um you probably have to share these and again could you please leave them on your seats when you leave um and what we've got here is the assessments from the two different assessors so for each of these we've got two um i think there's 19 of these all together i think i might just ask people sitting next door to share them actually if you don't mind um what we've got here, sorry, Liz, you want to? Yeah, they're um clipped, They're the ones that are Treasury tagged together. Go together. So what we've got on these are the assessments made by the two different assessors, and it gives you. I'll, I'll give you an opportunity to just read them through a little bit. Um, It is the complete assessment model for the fieldwork bits only. It doesn't cover the written assessment. The written assessment is always done by a single assessor who does all the written assessments for the whole year. That is much easier to um, make much more robust and valid and avoid problems of inter-assessor variability. If you've got the same assessor doing that, we can uh, control them, we can train them, we can monitor what they're doing. So these ones are for the... um, Field work. And the significant thing really to look at these um, is to note where, how consistent the two different assessments are. So if you look at the two separate documents, you've effectively got two that are stapled together. Um, and then the whole things are uh, treasury tagged together. Um, and you can look you know, on each box you've got the same document filled in by two different people for the same student and you can see the extent to which the assessments are consistent between the two assessors and they were done done blind the two assessors didn't discuss with each other um, their markings at all and they both shuffled between two pits so each assessor would be assessing eight students um, and would be sort of moving from one pit to another so they'd be looking at a relatively small number and what came out of this was how very consistent the assessments were. There was very rarely more than one um, fine gradation difference. Um, and relatively rarely as well were the differences between the two assessors' marks varying between the major uh, sort of three main categories, the sort of bad, okay and good as it were, level. So they rarely um, diverged by very much. And again, we were immensely pleased that it came out that well. Uh, Again, um, at Ard, they were uh, very impressed by how good the um, agreement had been. And on the bottom of the forms, you'll notice there's a penciled number um, written in there and that's the ranking That the so they were asked to fill in the forms which we could use to give a sort of metric measurement and then they were asked to rank the students they'd looked at in order sort of one to eight um, and we then compared, made sure that sort of uh, one assessor wasn't ranking one student eight, whereas another assessor was ranking them one. And mostly, again, they're either exactly the same, you know, the best student always came out top, the one who came out somewhere at number five nearly always came out at number five, the ones that came out right at the bottom were nearly always right at the bottom. So there was a high level of consistency in this evaluation. And as you can see from those, they are these sort of soft skills. They are these sort of communication skills, um, these creative thinking skills, um, the sort of persistence, leadership, uh, time management, that sort of thing. There are these soft skills which are very, very difficult to assess in any other way. Um, So we did a sort of bit of fine tweaking as a result of that, but the final assessment framework um, really is is very similar to that one. Um, It covers a very diverse skills base, as you can see, and you're welcome to sit and sort of read through those, um, certainly till the end of the uh, seminar. Um, the hard skills are mainly in the data collection and the written report sections of the assessment. And the data collection process is involved, as I say, working to professional standards, using the appropriate tools, doing a job properly, and all the various elements of that. And that's in the first section. The written report, as I say, considers aspects of how well they've structured the report, you know, and we give them details of what should be an in introduction. Structured in very much the same way so there is a clear, you know, a good introduction will have, you know, give the grid reference of the site and explain the aims of the project and whatever. Um, so we can match, again, their performance with um, the, uh, the uh, graded, the, the range of the descriptors. And then, of course, the soft skills as well, which fall into the sort of... we broke them down into these six groups. Verbal communication, structured working, creative thinking, reflective learning, effort and persistence, and team working. And the way that the range descriptors are written are what we use to report back to the students on their performance and they are the things that they can then use to actually write them you know write personal statements and that sort of thing or statements that are applying for work experience those sort of things they can start to think about how to present themselves how to be very explicit about what they're capable of and what they've achieved um, and so overall um, oh, I was just going to hand around the there are a number of, um, I'm just going to finish shortly and then I'm very happy to take any questions and I, I do appreciate there's a kind of lot to take in on this. Um, in terms of the new assessment model, if you like, the sort of summary of it, generally the review and refinement of the assessment worked immensely well and we're really happy that we have actually now got a framework for very... Producing very valid assessments of performance and skills in a range of categories, particularly those soft categories, soft skills that are so very difficult. And and this is a much wider issue within the field of assessment, I am informed, um, that that has been bugging people for a long time. Um, It's a very interesting example, as well as something that's a, a bottom up project, if you like, or a bottom-up development. Uh, We're already running this. The the assessment model has evolved and then been professionalised, if you like, within a whole different sort of framework. Uh, But it still retains a lot of the elements of the original um, aims of the project. So it's still about enabling students not only to um, prove what they can do um, but also to feel themselves that they can do these things because in returning a report to them which has this assessment then they can actually read through and think I'm being told I can do this and now I think about it yes I can and one of the things that we added in when I said when we were looking at the, um, the very first um, uh, handout I gave you the questionnaire on the course end and I asked you to disregard item six, which is the one on new skills, what we now do as a result of the work we've done with ARD and the assessment is not just use the supervisors assessments of their performance we actually get the students to assess for themselves how they feel they have developed and learnt these new skills so in item six it now says how has attending heifer helped you develop or improve different skills and they're asked to circle boxes we again have an occasional problem with students not reading it properly and putting five when they mean one Um, We do this for two reasons. One, because it's interesting to get students' own assessment of their performance against an assessor's performance, but also because it's a very good way of reinforcing to students what they've actually learned. Instead of giving them a little lecture at the end about this is what you've learned, this is what you're doing, this is your skills, we know you've been able to discuss your and other people's views and such and such, actually to ask them to fill in a form saying, do you think you can do this more, actually gets them to think about it and realise how um, the extent to which they have um, develop those skills. Um, what I've just got here is a final um, handout, and again, this is a personal one. Um, the um, there's two sheets of this, sorry, because it goes into two pages. This is the letter that we send out to students based on the new assessment model, and there are there are a number of uh, this sort of picks up with concluding thoughts really on this. The whole development of the new assessment model has been very useful in many ways. It was very useful for very, very much clarifying the constructs, what the students were actually doing Uh, what they're achieving we knew that intuitively and we'd certainly talked about it but to actually be confident for ourselves that actually they did do that was hugely useful for us really Um, it would have been dismaying had we discovered that actually it didn't do any of this at all so the fact that we've worked with a you know highly skilled very professional organization like our to do this has been hugely um, hugely good for us and a very positive experience for us because it's reinforced that what we do is what the project does is good Um, it has been very useful for enhancing our ability to demonstrate the validity of the assessment. For something which seems a bit odd, it is slightly off the wall. And one of the reasons it works well with the young people is because it's off the wall. Digging a hole in the ground doesn't seem like a way to sort of get yourself to university and improve your, life ambi- you know, your life's aspirations. So being able to demonstrate the validity of what they achieve on this is very, very useful. Um, It's been very useful for sharpening up our assessment and reporting protocols. Um, I've I've just mentioned the student self-assessment feedback forms. We can now ask them about skills. And we can then, of course, assess the extent to which they're actually learning these skills. So this is based on the student's feedback. And we can see that, again, uh, whether they assess it as one or two or three or four or five, we can... um, Map that and we can see. So, these are the skills developing skills in discussing ideas with different people, sort of verbal communication skills. You know, the vast majority nearly 80% are saying it helped a lot or quite a lot. And then, through the skills again, the um, uh, doing the task properly as well, working to set standards again, up at 80%. Um, creative thinking, um, same sort of level, just below 80%. Uh, self-assessment, self-reflective learning, um, same sort of level. You can see working it's, it's skills in working with persistence and high standard. Again, you know um, they feel they're doing it. We can assess how well they're doing it, and they know how well they've done it. You know, it's coming out very high, well over eighty percent there. Um, developing skills in being a good team member. Again, you know they can demonstrate. They can say, "I'm good at team working." They can relate that to what they've actually done. And then remember it for themselves as well, and we track their their destinations as well. What do they actually end up doing? That slide might be slightly out of order, actually. Um, so, as a concluding thought, then uh, refinements to their self-assessment forms and refinements in the form report to the students. Now, you've got the new letter. Um, it certainly provides more detail on specifics. We use whichever construct, whichever um, range the script tour has been. Uh, ticked by their assessor we will simply paste that into the report they get back so they know exactly how they've been assessed Um, we haven't yet used the new written report in reporting back to them so you'll see on that letter it's still a free text assessment of the written report um that's been due to internal mechanisms i won't bore you with but um next year we will be using that written um report feedback There is some loss of the personal touch. I think the earlier letter, which had the, you made an excellent start to the day, had a very personal feel to it. Um, And some of them would get, you made a poor start to the day" and worked with very little persistence or whatever. Um, It did have a very personal feel to it. The loss of personal touch is of course more apparent than real because the personal touch is is simply based on the metrics. Um, And I think it's an interesting notion that we probably need to think about as to whether different forms of assessment are better or more or less appropriate for different sorts of groups of students. And this year, in 2011, we were running some higher education field academies for AIM Higher for widening participation purposes um, with AIM Higher cohort schools, which on the whole are not very high achieving. And we were running others which were for gifted and talented students um, with the aim of um, encouraging them to apply Oxbridge really is part of the Cambridge widening participation move and we decided that for this year we'd use the new assessment model for the the gifted and talented groups and carry on with the old one for the other groups um, and I think it's just something we need to have a think about which we would go with whether we need to move completely onto the new model um, or whether there's still a value in having the slightly um, less robust less valid but nonetheless more sort of um, inspirational if you like method of assessment for some groups or maybe not um It has been extremely useful as a route to endorsement from OCR. OCR have endorsed the Higher Education education Field Academy programme as of higher academic value. That endorsement is hugely useful for us in being able to promote it in schools um, and encourage schools to get their students involved. We know how well it works in terms of raising their aspirations. The more we can make that evident to schools that haven't engaged yet, the more we can offer these opportunities to larger groups of young people in the future. Um, We have developed a um, curriculum-linked Cambridge Archaeology Project CAP scheme, um, which is linked into GCSE history, into the SHP GCSE history, again off the back of this close working relationship that we now have with Cambridge assessment. And that's, again, very useful. And we're hoping that will provide, in future years, a really inspiring way for students to do GCSE history. And, of course, that's uh, increasingly more important with the... um, uh, English baccalaureate, the you know many more students are going to be encouraged to do history or geography in the future. And if anyone's interested in that, there is a was well, a leaflet here about the Cambridge Archaeology Project, the link between that and history. Generally, the Higher Education Field Academy is, it's not specifically aimed at any subject, students studying, any subject can do it. We do track what subjects these students who come on the field academy are interested in studying um, at university, if they are. And the top, the, the largest number, well, ranked in order, uh, the top one that comes up is medicine. Um, the next one after that is natural sciences. And the next one after that is law. Um, history comes down at number five archaeology does come down about number seven which is unusually high and clearly does reflect to some extent that but generally the top ones and medicine is far above all of the others Uh, natural sciences and law are also well above any of the others so you know the general field academy is about boosting those skills and it works with that audience Um, the cap scheme is a history specific one but we'll also work with those developing those other skills we're hoping they can sort of uh, hit two targets with one stone as it were which in these days of high pressure is good And we would also interested in the idea of developing it in the future as a freestanding qualification. Um, This is something that the government has rather put on ice at the moment. I think the whole issue of freestanding qualifications is out for review at the moment. Um, But it is something we're sort of thinking about for the future. Anyway, I'm going to stop there. Thank you all for your attention. This is a podcast from Cambridge Assessment. For more downloads, visit cambridgeassessment.org.uk.